Well, good evening. Grab your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want to thank um, everybody here for the opportunity to be here again. Um, The last time I preached was in 2015. I just had hip surgery, and I was stumbling up and down the stairs here, but I'm healed. So I have the opportunity again tonight to be here, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to be here with the body of Christ. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the importance of the Word of God. I mean, we know we live in a crazy world now. I mean, what is truth? I mean, honestly, I, I, I'm getting a little overwhelmed um, on just some of the crazy stuff I'm hearing, but, but I go back to the Scripture always. I mean, it's our objective foundation of morality. It's all I have. I never doubted the Bible. I've doubted myself, but... You know, the Bible tells us that there's going to be strong delusion in, in, in our thinking brought to the mind of man by God because of the rejection of truth. So what I want to talk about tonight is something that's important to you and I as believers in Christ. Um, it's our responsibility, and that is to get into the Word. Um, there's preachers in the Calvary circles that have said, you know, you don't read the Bible, the Bible reads you. You don't get into the Bible, the Bible gets into you. And if your Bible's all torn apart, messed up, and falling apart, chances are your life isn't because it's falling apart, you're reading it. So what I want to do is I want to look at something very important here for you and I. Um, the older I get, it seems it's harder to study the Word of God. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I find it harder due to whatever reason. But it's our lifeline. It's the most important thing you and I have to cling on to. And if we're not studying it, then there's a problem. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, three simple verses. And before we do that, let's have a brief prayer. Father, we pray as we study the Bible together tonight that we might meet Christ. Teach us what we know not. Give us what we have not. Make us what we are not, and we ask for the enabling of the Holy Spirit, and we pray in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So three verses we're going to look at. Follow along with me as we study these three verses. Therefore, putting aside all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, envy, and slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. In his book, A Quest for Godliness, he subtitled this book, The Puritan Vision of the Christian Life. J.I. Packer reports this, that a Puritan preacher named Lawrence Chatterton once apologized to his congregation for preaching for two hours. They responded, for God's sake, sir, go on, go on. Every preacher's dream. Now, I'm not going to preach for two hours here, but after 82 years, of his life after preaching for 50 years, he decided to retire. He began to receive letters from 40 clergymen all over the place testifying they owed the growth of their lives, the conversion of some of their lives to his ministry and his preaching of the word. Puritanism was above all else a Bible movement. Now, you have to think as a Puritan, to the Puritan, the Bible was in truth the most valuable possession that the world could afford him or her. His deepest conviction was that reverence for God meant reverence for Scripture, and serving God meant obeying that very Scripture. To his mind, there could have been no greater insult could be offered to the Creator than to neglect that written word. And conversely, there would be no truer act of homage than to prize it, pour over it, and preach it, give it out, and teach it. Intense respect for Scripture as the living word of the living God and a devoted concern to all and do that it prescribed was that hallmark of a Puritan. Now, I'm not going to stand up here. I'm not going to preach for two hours. Most preachers love to preach a long time. But this morning, I would hope that God would use my feeble attempt, uh, not by my words, but by His words, to get you to understand that our consistency in the Word of God should be more than the necessary food that we eat. In other words, you and I must have the Word of God. 
And really, listen, folks, let's cut out all of the garbage. Look at the news today. It doesn't do anything for us. Cut out even some of our sleep. Get up and read the Word. But what Peter's going to tell us here, that you and I, we must have the Word of God in our life. And that's Peter's point, what he's going to look to and ascribe to here. We must have the Word, first of all, for conversion. Then we must have the Word for our sanctification and growth. Look at verses 1 to 3 once again. Therefore, because you have been born again through the living Word and abiding Word of God, he says, like newborn babies crave the pure spiritual rational milk, that by it you may grow towards salvation. Okay, God's Word not only imparts life to us, it nurtures, sustains it as well. Apart from God's Word, you and I will shrivel up and die. That's the bottom line. Like a starving child would die if it did not get the milk from its mother's breast. Because it wouldn't have no other source of food to get that milk. Therefore, we must have the Word of God. So let's look at three things. If you're taking notes, three things I want you to look at here tonight from this part of Scripture that we looked at here. Number one, what the Word is like. If you're taking notes, number two, how to be motivated to drink in it. Number three, how to drink in it. Now, what the Word is like. You could spend message upon message upon message on this. We can cover the whole Bible and get into that, but I'm limited tonight to these only three verses, and as I said, I'm not going to preach for two hours. We're going to learn three things from that aspect. The word is pure. Look at the Greek word. It means literally not deceitful. It's the same word that is used in verse 1 for guile with an alpha added, adolos. What does that mean? It means you put it in front, it negates the meaning. It means unadulterated, not watered down. Now, let me explain to you. Back in their day, they would have these uh, merchants that would sell milk in that day. And what they would do is they would take that milk and they would dilute it down and add more water. It would be called deceitful milk. Why they did that? They wanted to gain more profit. And he says here, you should long for the pure milk, not the deceitful milk. That means that the Bible, if you take it straight in, as its pure, unadulterated form, it tells you the truth of who you are about yourself. It will expose you for who you really are, the very thoughts and motives in our hearts. Hebrews tells us that in 4, 12, 13. For the word of God is live and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul, spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's not uncommon for preachers. They could all tell you this, that after hearing the word preached, that people have come up to them and say, you know, did you know what I was going through? Did anyone tell you about my life? Because it, it seemed that you knew everything that was going on from what you preached. And you can assure them from the past week that you, you might not have even run into them. You didn't know anything that they were going through in their life. But to them, it seemed like you aimed everything right at them, what was going on, directly at them. And folks, it's simply not us. It's simply the Bible and the Word of God, which is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. See, we tend to deceive ourselves and flatter ourselves, but the Word of God cuts right through that deception, lays out the honest truth of who we are, and when it exposes us, then it can tell us how to deal with those problems. We have these legion of evangelical churches today that just take the Word and water it down. Preachers that basically want to do whatever they want with the Word of God because they want to be liked or they want to make people feel good about themselves. No different than going to a doctor and being diagnosed for not the truth of what is really wrong with you. Sugarcoating the illness, not dealing with the root of the problem or the cause. And the Lord said to Jeremiah, if you look back in the book of Jeremiah, they have healed the wound of my people superficially. The Bible declares, first of all, the root cause of our problem. And what is that? Sin. Simply sin. It confronts our sin. It presents God's remedy for our sin. And then it brings healing, which is eternal healing for that sin. So I, just like Calvary chapels, like to preach the Bible in its pure, non-deceitful form. Because it will confront us where we have gone astray in our lives, 
but it will also direct us and show us on the right path how to live that life. How does a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to his word. With the whole heart I have sought thee, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119. Number two, the word is rational. The word is empirical. It can be put to the test. It's rational. It makes sense. It's historical. It has been proven to be true. But it's rational. The literal translation in verse 2 we should long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, the word spiritual there also means rational. In the Greek, logikos, from the word logos. It's shown another time in the Bible, verse chapter, uh, Romans 12, verse 1, Paul says that presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice is our spiritual or rational service of worship. In other words, it's the spiritual thing to do. That's what he's literally saying there. We, we don't give our bodies like in the Old Testaments. We, we don't put them on the altar for sacrifices, but we do spiritually do that. Oswald Chambers says that, that I should bind myself to the altar for burning, purification, and separation from any affection or desire not directed towards you. So in a sense, he doesn't mean in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense, yield yourself to the will of God. And what he says is that it's our reasonable thing to do. And we can do it because of the mercies of God. Now, he's talking about the milk here, and he uses the term purposefully to be ambiguous, meaning it has more than one meaning. Let me show you. Peter is not talking now literally about the mother's milk. But rather now what he is saying and he's inferring to the spiritual milk or the living and the biting word of God. So he says here the spiritual milk is rational. Folks, it makes sense. First of all, it's grasped with the mind. God gave us a mind to think, folks. Christianity is rational. Not in a worldly sense. The natural man perceived not the things of God, nor will he understand them because they're spiritually discerned, but, but we have the Holy Spirit. But in a spiritual sense, it is rational. And our human reason must be subject to the written revelation of the Word of God that he's given of himself in the Bible. So we can't know God without using our mind. We could agree to that. He's revealed himself. He's given his written Word to do that. Dr. Packer says the same thing once again about the Puritans. What he says is, he says they were educators of the mind. They believe the mind must be instructed, enlightened before faith and obedience could even become possible. What they thought was the Bible to be the supreme instrument. Now get this. God uses to conform us to the image of Christ. The supreme instrument he uses to make us look more like Jesus Christ. That's why it is so important for us here today to be paying attention to what God is saying to us. Because what God is saying to us is more important than what we're saying to him. In other words, we've given, been given two ears and one mouth that we might hear more and say less. And in that listening, God is working within. That's why it's important for us to come to church like here tonight, to listen to the word expounded. Hear from the pulpit, in the back of this room. And what we're doing here, because the Bible is the supreme instrument God uses for making the people of God to look like the Son of God. And that no local congregation will ever live above the expository preaching from the pulpit. You'll never find a congregation that will rise above the teaching right here from the pulpit. You'll find a few that go ahead on their own but they won't rise above what is being taught from here, the teaching that it receives. Be a few that will study on. But the general temperature of the congregation will be found from what is taught right from here. It will be marked by the level of instruction that is given it receives from this pulpit. That's why it's important in this context, in this big room, that we do what we do. And it's equally important that we're also under the instruction of the Bible in the smaller rooms, in the classrooms, or where the children are in the back of their rooms. 
And it's equally important that the Bible is the central thing in the rooms, in our families, in our homes, so that in our homes, the Bible is not a closed book, but rather an open book, because it is the point of reference for us to instruct our children. When they ask us the questions of life, what shall I do? How shall I be? Where will I go? And when they get saved in their journey of faith, how will you instruct them? The Bible is equally important in the bedrooms of our homes, in our private rooms, of our lives. Because the Bible is the supreme instrument for the renewing of God's people. I'm going to read a great commentary. It was written by a man named Charles Hodge. It's good. It's called The Way of Life. It's a great explanation concerning what we're talking about here of the Bible. It's a little long, but I want to read you the whole thing. But listen, folks, listen carefully. Quote, It is most unreasonable to expect to be conformed to the image of God unless the truth concerning God be made to operate often and continuously upon the mind. How can a heart that is filled with the thoughts and cares of the world, and especially one that is often moved to evil by the thoughts or sights of sin, expect that the affections which answer to the holiness, goodness, and greatness of God should gather strength within? How can the love of Christ increase in the bosom of those who hardly ever think of him or of his works? This cannot be without a change in the very nature of things. And therefore, we cannot make progress in holiness unless we devote much time to the reading hearing, and meditating upon the Word of God, which is the truth whereby we are sanctified. The more the truth is brought before the mind, the more we commune with it, entering into its imports, applying it to our own case, appropriating its principles, appreciating its motives, rejoicing in its promises, trembling at its threatenings, rising by its influence from what is seen and temporal to what is unseen and eternal. The more we may expect to be transformed by the renewing of the mind so as to approve and love whatever is holy, just, and good. People distinguished for their piety have always been people of meditation as well as people of prayer, people that are accustomed to withdraw the minds from the influence of the world with its thousand joys and sorrows and to bring it under the influence of the doctrines, precepts, and promises of the Word of God. I could just read that again and stop preaching. It basically says it all right there. But let me say this, and I, and I don't want to say this as a legalistic statement, so don't come to me later and say, Rob, Pastor Rob, that, you know, that was legalistic. I didn't like that. Be done with secular reading on the Lord's Day. No, one better, be done with Facebook on the Lord's Day. What do you need it for on a Sunday? You need to withdraw your minds from the influences of the thousand joys and sorrows and bring it under the influence of the doctrines, precepts, and promises of God. How are we going to do that? One practical way is do not do it on the Lord's day. Don't take secular things before we come to the Lord's day. Just don't read it. Listen, do whatever you will, but it will help not to do that on the Lord's day. And you know and I know so many of us, the first thing that we do in the mornings, especially on the Lord's day, we grab our phones and what do we do? We coddle them and grab them close to us like our lifeline. But ask yourself this question. If there's to be any sense to which we, draw, we can withdraw our minds from the thousand joys and sorrows of, under the world and bring them under the instructions of the promises, precepts of God and the principles of the Bible, surely the right day to do that would be on the Lord's day. And there's a prime opportunity to do that. And the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Folks, for you and me, there's a reason why the early generation sought to live a holy life. They weren't a bunch of weirdos. They weren't crazy people. They were convicted to an internal holiness which had touched their hearts and changed their minds. And the Bible's not there to give us fat heads. But it's there that we could be stored with the word of God, it can touch our hearts and change our minds. Even for myself, the thousand joys and sorrows of the world which grab me are so alluring every day. 
Now, unless I make a plan towards that end, I will be overwhelmed by it all. See, folks, there's a thing called discipline. And, and how do you do it? What, what is discipline? Doing it when you don't want to do it. Sow a thought, reap a word. Sow a word, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Well, now you know how I feel about that. So I think you get the point. Number three, the word is nourishing. Peter's not referring now to the mother's milk. We talked about that. He uses the analogy of newborn babes. He makes it clear. He isn't contrasting the milk of the word of God with meat, which Paul does in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 3, 2, he says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able. There he's talking to a bunch of older men and women that are still in diapers. <laughs> they haven't grown up spiritually. That's not what he's doing here. He's talking about the nourishing milk that feeds us. Simple enough for the youngest infant in faith, but solid enough for the mature faith. Dr. Harold Wilmington from Liberty University said the Gospel of John is so deep that an elephant can swim in it, but a child can wade in it. It is so simple, but so profound. Now, God has designed the mother's milk to be perfect for newborn babes, right? Immunizes it, protects it, nourishes it for growth. What does God's word do? It will protect Christians from the many spiritual attacks and diseases that will cause them not to grow. Mother's milk will allow a baby to grow for months. God's word will nourish Christians so that they, verse 2, grow towards salvation. Peter means salvation in the ultimate sense. Pastor Mark said it, God's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness before I came up here. There's everything there for that growth uh, provided for his children. Listen, you and I never reach that place where we stop growing. Read your Bible and pray every day. Pray every day. Pray every day. Read your Bible and pray every day. And you'll grow. 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 I didn't sing because I thought I can. I just wanted to. But here's, here's the question I want to ask you. We learned that as kids, where do you go from there? Where do we graduate from that? I don't know about you, but I haven't gotten past that yet. Jesus, what do I do? Well, Pastor Robert, read your Bible. Okay, what else? Well, read your Bible and pray every day. But Jesus, why? Because you'll grow, grow, grow. One, thing's, one thing about kids, they love to grow, right? My son's always going like this now. How big does that look? Or, you know, any of you that have kids, you put them against the wall, and then you're writing that line on the wall, and, and a month later, they're over there so excited about how, to, how they're growing, and look at me, Dad, or, or, or look at me, Mom. You know, almost every home has had that line. I had it once, and I never used it again. My son's all over the place. But, but they, they love growth charts. And every month, you look at it, and you check on it, and they, they're just so happy when they've grown. They're so excited. Do we get excited like that about the Word of God? in respect to our salvation? You know, and think about physical growth. I mean, people always say, oh, look, your son is growing. No, I don't notice it as well as others. And spiritual growth is kind of like that. You don't see it. It's like watching paint dry. But it happens. But he says you'll be nourished. You read it towards growth. That's what the word is like. He says right here, it is pure, rational, nourishing milk. That will make you grow towards salvation. Well, the question is, okay, great. Well, how do I motivate myself to drink God's word? Peter said be motivated like a newborn baby. What's a baby doing when it's ready for its milk? Anybody that has kids knows the analogy. If you have kids of your own, they're going to let you know when they're hungry. 3 a.m., in the middle of a crowd, on a plane, they'll embarrass you anywhere. 
I, I have a whole new respect for crying babies now after having one. I had no empathy before. Now I have a lot of empathy. And I understand. Because they're going to keep crying to let you know until you feed them. You could trick them and stick their fing your finger in their mouth until they realize it's just your finger and then they spit it out. Suck on it for a second or so. And they, they're powerful cheeks too, right? But they spit it out when they realize it's not real. They realize they're not getting any milk. That's how we should be with the Word of God. See, they scream for the real thing. Peter's saying we should scream for the real thing. So the question is, how about you? Are you screaming for that Word? Do you crave the Word of God like that newborn baby cries for its mother's milk? Now, it's not like the baby's looking for potato chips and then wants to wash it down with, with milk. They don't even know what potato chips are yet. But it's so masterly designed by God to scream for that milk. Wonderfully designed. All the antibodies, all the nourishment, all the protection. And, and what does this baby know? How good it tastes or not? It doesn't have nothing to compare it to. Later it will, and then it won't want it anymore. But it's perfect. All of its defense mechanisms, all of its immunity. And he's not drinking it for the flavor. He's drinking it for she, for the nourishment. As I said, they have nothing to compare it to. Later they will. But then, at that moment, they want it for the necessary nourishment, necessary protection. And think about the intimacy. I want you to grasp this for a moment. God's wonderful, beautiful, tender intimacy. Only a mother knows this. I used to watch my, my wife with my son in jealousy. The way he looked into her eyes. And she looked in his eyes when he was feeding. That intimacy only a mother and a child can know. And that's what God says when you feed on my word. It's like that intimacy. Craving it, nourishing, drinking it, bringing the protection, the antibodies, the only hope of protection against old smutty one and his schemes, who threatens us with his subtleties, his devices, speaks of that intimacy as God drawing us like a mother would grab their baby and pulling up the baby in its arms as it begins to drink that milk. This is what God says. Problem is the church has learned to be satisfied with junk food. Sad. No appetite anymore for the pure, unadulterated word. They want the contaminated. They want the weak, malnourished, unprotected. And then the lack of intimacy with God because of that. See, we, we're not mad when we emphasize the word of God. We just believe it. God has highly exalted his word above all his names. Psalm 138, verse 2. That's what he says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded of the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8, 3, Matthew 4, 4. It gives you and I protection, nourishment, strength, intimacy. And I, I don't want to impose it on you as a preacher who wants to like stick something nasty in your face. You know, remember when you were sick and, and you used to have the congestion and your mom or dad put that Vicks all over your chest? How nasty that was? No, that's not what the word, that's painful stuff. But Jeremiah got it right when he preached, right? What a guy. Greatest preacher of his time, but they didn't want it. They hated him. Threw him in a pit, and then they threw him in another deeper pit. They didn't want the pure word. They wanted to shut him up. Many today don't want the pure word of God. They don't want the unfiltered or the filtered. They want the unfiltered. So many reasons today why we have the problems we have today in the church is because we have sick Christians walking around. Think about it. We hurt each other because we're, we, we're, we're running around and, and, and we don't even understand the word, so we begin to treat each other wrong. 
because we're not looking like Christ because you're getting the, the nasty, the, the bad. Question is, why do you read the Bible today? Is it traditionally because your parents read it daily so you read it sort of like a religious charm? Well, I better do it or something's going to happen to me. Better get my reading in today. God might zap me. Miss two or three days, and then say, oh, I'm back to it now. I'm all right now. Or do you read it educationally so you can have all the answers and you can argue with people? You want to have all the answers for the theological debates? Some read it professionally. Some because they want to be the cool pastor who might not even know the Lord. How do I say that? You look at Second Kings, I think it was, uh, Ahab and Jehoshaphat were having this thing going on there and uh, the son of Imlah, Micaiah or whatever, was the only one prophet of God. The others were prophets. A lot of men in the pulpits today, I wonder if they really know the Lord. So they read it professionally, extract its material for sermons. Some read it proudly so they can sprout off verses at you all day long, show you how smart they are, deal with theological implications. But the question is, how should you and I read it? Peter says here, like a hungry child screaming, sucking, drawing out all the nourishment necessary for life. That's how it should be read. Remember your source of life. Remember. How do we deal with our sin? Admit your need, folks. You need it. I need it. Fourthly, pursue growth. At the end of verse 2, that it by it you may grow, what? In respect to salvation. Question is, how do you get motivated to get that kind of motivation? How do you do it for the word of God? Look what he says here. Negatively, number one, negatively, put off relational sins that hinder the word's effect in your life. So in this context, it's clear these are relational sins which hinder your motivation for the word. Put off. We always know, put off, renew, put on. He says, put off, cast them aside. I know my wife gets mad. She's not here to testify. But, you know, when I'm done with the day, I take my clothes, I throw them in the little basket over there, and I miss and leave them and don't care. You guys know what I'm talking about. He says, throw it off like that. Throw the baggage off from your past. First of all, you were born again. Take it off. The things that surround us in the sinful world we live in, take it off. Peter says that they are opposed to spiritual growth. They must be discarded like dirty clothes. All of those old habits, all those way of life. Now let's look at the list. It's a strong list here. Malice, in general, every kind of wickedness. And, and one of the worst malices is when you have it in for someone else. You know, one of the worst forms of envy is you don't want what somebody else has, but you don't want them to have it. That's one of the worst forms of envy you could have. And then he uses the word guile, originally meaning bait or snare. Deceitfulness. It means to tell somebody something that isn't true. You trick them, mislead them. And you always have an interior motive, an ulterior motive in your communication when you do that. Hypocrisies, he uses the word plural, comes from the word meaning to wear a mask. In other words, projecting false image of who you are to people. If you're inconsistent on in how you behave in church as opposed to how you behave outside, you're engaging in hypocrisies. Envies, we talked about it, refers to an attitude of much deceit and hypocrisy. Being jealous of a person's things or or, or just not wanting them to have it is the worst form of envy. What was the motive for killing Jesus? 
They were envious of his popularity, Mark 15.10, for he was aware that the chief priest has handed him over because of envy. And then what does envy do? It works its way out in slanderings, speak against someone. Once again, it brings that form of deceit or say nice things to a person's face and when they're not around, you're saying bad things behind their back, disparaging them with a motive of making yourself look good and better than others. Christian communication stands against all of that worldly stuff. It's one of the things that will hinder you from the word of God. We are to speak in truth, in love, building one another up, Ephesians 4.19. Let not no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only as such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Peter says, put off all of those wrong things. All of that way of relating to people, put it off. That right there, folks, says we are responsible for that. That's just not a, a maybe. That's a certainty and a responsibility. And how do we do that? With enabling power of the Holy Spirit. We can stop doing that. You don't need years of therapy. You need the Bible. You don't need to keep delving into the past and stop doing those things. You need the Bible to help you stop. It's a matter of obedience. O-B-I-D-I-E-N-C-E. Obedience is the very best way to show that we believe. Did it again anyway. Make a decisive break with your past. Is that, that's what he says here. You've committed your life to Christianity. Break away from this. Throw it off. If you don't, you will not be motivated to read the Word of God. That's what he says, folks. Look at it right there. Number two, positively focus on the kindness of the Lord. If or since is an implication, there's no doubt you are saved. That's what he's saying. The Bible is written to us. If you have tasted that the Lord is kind. Christ is the Lord. Peter said that, right? For you are Lord. He's especially referring to the kindness of the Lord, the grace he's shown to us who have trusted him as Lord and Savior. If you're, if you're saved here tonight, you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That's what he tells us. He showed us mercy instead of judgment. God demonstrated his love toward us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. That's his mercy. The cross of Christ is where the Holy God made provision for you and I, the sinner, so I can experience forgiveness and receive the eternal free gift of eternal life. That ought to be our focus every day as Christians, he says. You and I have tasted that the Lord is good. That's why communion is so important. That's why we take communion. We do it in commemoration. We commend Christ. In adoration, we adore Christ. Proclamation, we preach Christ. Participation, we feed on Christ. And most of all, anticipation, we wait for Christ's return. That's the goodness of the Lord. He offered his sacrifice for us and our sins. So, we tasted the Lord's kindness. That should motivate us to drink. His word. How to drink in God's word. Amazing. Read it. Listen to it. I'm amazed how many Christians don't read their Bibles today. How many Christians don't bring their Bibles? Well, that's convicting. But I'm not a reader. Learn to be a reader. It's a learned thing. I, listen, I confess, the older I get, the harder it is to read for some reason. But God chose to communicate his word through us, through the Bible, through reading material in written form. Reading is a learned skill. Learn how to do it. Listen to it. You can master it if you try. While you're learning to read, if you don't read it, listen to it on tapes. Go it over and over. God does something with eye gate and ear gate. It's just something he does when you use those 
ways of communication to, to hear his word. You need to read it. Now, if you're a new Christian today, start in the New Testament. Start somewhere. Get a plan. Discipline. Do it when you don't want to do it. That's discipline, folks. Read it over and over. Don't stop. When you finish, what do you do? You read it again. Read Psalms. Read Proverbs. Do, do something. Open the book. The problem is we have so many Christians with empty heads and closed Bibles. And I don't know if you know in Acts where they, where, where they told them to be quiet. They said, how can we be quiet for, for the things we've seen and heard? A lot of Christians have nothing to say because they have nothing to read. Because they haven't read their Bibles. So they have tied tongues because there's nothing to say. Read through it in 15 to 20 minutes a day. You could read through the Bible a year. Come up with a plan. There's something you could do. Get a translation that works for you. You won't grasp it all in a lifetime. John said in Revelation, he says, these things I don't know, but this I do know. When I see him, I will be like him. So the pastor doesn't know everything either. You won't grasp it. But God would show himself to you through it. He will show you something about himself and yourself. He will show you what needs to be changed and how to live. And, and the best part is he will, he will enable you to live by the demands of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants you to live that way. He wants us to be, as Peter wrote, newborn babes. Don't let anything get in the way of your feeding time. Once again, the baby will not stop crying until the mother feeds it. Not just read it, study it. It's not just milk, it's rational milk. You've got to think on it, meditate on it. You have to understand it. That's why we do what we do here. Yogi Berra has a quote. He quotes this. You can see a lot just by looking. <laughs> Interpret it. Ah. What did the, the eunuch, when what's his name, was cast over there? It's a loose paraphrase of the Bible. Philip came over to the eunuch, and, and he said, what are you reading up there? He, the eunuch said, he said, oh, I'm just reading the scroll, I think, something like that. I'm kind of destroying this. But he said, do you understand what you're reading? He says, no. How can I unless someone teach me? He doesn't go, well, how does that make you feel? What do you think that says? He said, no. How can I understand unless somebody teach me? And that's what we do. We teach you. We don't ask you, how does it make, what do you think that says? Get under somebody to help you study, learn, understand what the scripture is, what the context is. That's how God's word is communicated to us. The context in light of scripture. Get a concordance, learn how to study, learn how to look at words and see what they say. What does it mean to me? How do I obey it? What should I do with it? You tell me, Lord. How do I use this during my life in the day? Get it every chance you can, folks. If you are not reading the Bible continually, I can guarantee you you are sinning somewhere in your life. It's just what Scripture says. Let's close this out. Taste it. The image of tasting that the Lord is good brings up the fact we're not just to fill our heads with knowledge. It's to fill us with the delight of the divine author and to enjoy him and all his perfections. Listen, tasting is, is different, right? It's personal and it's enjoyable. I can't taste for you, nor can you taste for me. We can only taste for ourselves. And the beauty about tasting is you have to get up close to taste. It's not like looking at a distance at something or smelling. You could do that at a distance. There's something to be said in that, but tasting, no. You can hear at a distance, but tasting, no. You literally have to touch it to your tongue. And you can only taste God's word by drawing near personally, appropriating the riches of its teaching and knowing him. By reading it. That is the only way. Come on, you know what it's like when you taste something you like. You want more. 
You just don't eat it to live. You live to eat it. I've graduated from not that, but I, I eat to live. I don't live to eat anymore. I used to love sushi. I don't even like it anymore. I don't know what happened. But I just, I, but God's word I need. You know what happens when, when you're moved by the word of God in your life. When he speaks to you personally. Because you have tasted and seen that he is good. Get it as often as you can. God's word is that way for all folks. Not just me, but every one of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Let me say this in conclusion. Do you use your Bible? Do you use it? Now, you don't have to raise your hands. You know, and God knows who you are. And when you use it, do you love it more and more, that you want to use it more? How about do you practice it? Do you observe it? Do you live according to what it says? Now, if you don't have that craving for God's word, there could be several reasons we'll go through. These aren't the only ones, but these are good ones. Maybe you haven't even tasted that the Lord is good. Maybe Christ is not your savior. Maybe you haven't cried out in your sin and been broken in your need for a savior. Maybe you haven't believed he died for your sins. He offered himself for your sins as salvation for you, a free gift. Take it if you haven't. Start feeding on the Bible now. Maybe you don't have a craving for God's word, number two, because you have sin in your life, willfully, disobediently, continually. You're doing something continual, and you know what you're doing. And God knows what you're doing. And what's the old saying? I don't like cliches, but this works. God's word will keep you from sin or the Bible, and the Bible will, sin will keep you from the Bible, and the Bible will keep you from sin. That's how they say it, right? It works. <laughs> Confess it now, forsake it. Turn back to the word. Get back into the Bible. God is the God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. There's no end to his forgiveness if you're his. All right, here's another one. Maybe you've been feeding on junk food and watching all that crazy preaching, getting involved with all of that stuff. I, we, I bought Zion snacks, and you know what sweets do to kids' appetite. And then he says, I want those devil dogs. <laughs> and he's eating them like crazy, but ruins his appetite. That's what bad preaching does. It ruins your appetite that you don't even want the good word anymore. You don't need it. If you don't sense your great need for God's word, it might be because you filled yourself up with all that garbage, whether it be on the television or may it be bad preaching or shut it off forsake it, come back to the pure natural milk. Get away from those bad Christian books, purpose-driven life. I throw them out when I see them. I'm not going to be afraid to say it. I, I had to write a book, a report on that. Purpose-driven church. I mean, sure, you can take some good stuff out of it, but that, why do you want to look at the bad stuff? See, folks, a lot of us think that we can sit under bad teaching and not be infected. Yes, you will be. Yes, you can be. The same way if you knew there's 15 people, or maybe this is not a good example, but I'll get yelled at later, you're not going to go sit next to 15 people you know have, that have COVID because you might get infected. You sit under bad teaching long enough, it will infect you and it will affect you. I don't care how spiritually mature you are. Don't do it. Well, I'm just there because I want to witness to them and, and, and hopefully I can draw them to Christ. You sit under that bad teaching long enough, you're going to be worse off than you were than maybe that person. That's a fact, Jack. Get away from the bad books. 
Don't water the word down. Get the pure milk. That junk food will fill you up and make you feel full. Don't waste your time reading it. Speak to the leaders here. They'll direct you to good books. They'll help you understand how to apply God's truth in your life. They'll help you to understand how to study it. They'll give you stuff that is worth reading. Hunger for God's truth, folks. Drink it like a nursing babe. Above all else, you got to have it if you want to grow in your salvation. No other way. No other way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word abides and guides our footsteps. It teaches us. It restores us. Rebukes us. Calls us in the line. Some of us have come in like a wrecked ship, run ashore from all of the storms smashed and crashed in life. Result of the waves and the trials that have hit us this week or in the past. We've come in here with our inability to anchor safely. Lord, help us. We're here this morning to say, Lord Jesus, refit me, restructure me. Lord, fill me afresh and renew me. Fill me afresh. Get me ready this week, Lord, for the voyage that I have to set out for. Not the set of the sails, but the set of the gales that direct us which way to go. Lord, hear our prayers. It's your word that we need to hunger for. Lord, revive each one of us for, for the understanding of that desire needs to come back in some of our lives. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit may be our abiding portion now and forevermore. We pray this in Christ's name.